0: Yeah I'm about to name another one Is that Willie? No. What? Is that Tremaine? No Oh that's the other one That's the one you <laughs> met about me. <to> Why <laughs> What? Why was you? Uh uh-uh, let me call you back Because you saw <laughs> No Santana Don't be fucking hear me while my motherfucking live? Don't mess it badly Well you know that girl be fucking lying Bitch, <laughs> I ain't lying. Is that the boy you made a murder piece that took you on the boat ride? Oh commission, please. <laughs> 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 Go go go, it, Dan. Welcome to the Black Sublime podcast, and this is your host, Mr. Haberdashery, aka AOlist, White, aka Let Me Whisper in Your Ear. Um, I had so much fucking fun this weekend in Atlanta. Like, it was beautiful. But like, before I even get into all of that, um, I want to just talk about the sound bites. So there was this video between Santana and Carisha, um, Carisha Young Miami from the City Girls. And it came out a while ago, and I nearly fell on the floor when I first, heard, first saw it. It is hilarious. And then somebody retweeted it, and I was like, yes, here it goes. Like, finally, because I couldn't find it because it was on live so I found it I retweeted it so I could keep it and now I'll use the audio it's they are they should definitely have a show together they are so 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 funny um and the second one is the meme look how she ate that um which we might get into people eating that uh, not ratchet you know but like people just eating shit up this weekend people just eating shit up in the culture um because I feel like people have been well fed you know this weekend well fed in the past week so whatever but back to Atlanta I have the absolute pleasure privilege and honor to go to a wedding of a close friend of mine from college um shout out to her I don't know I keep I don't know. I guess I'll shout it out for real because uh, whatever. So shout out to Garnett and Carson for having me. It was an absolute honor. I love you guys so much. It was a beautiful wedding but I think you know, the pastors did say black love um, as part of the ceremony, as part of his sermon. And I just really felt that. I really felt its power and just the, gen- the genuine and authentic love they have for each other. It really lifted me up. So, it, you know, it, it warms my cold heart a little bit. You know, there was a little pitter-patter, like, maybe I will, like, check for somebody. Like, maybe, you know, it is getting cooler in New York. It is something degrees today. Like, it's not 90. Like, maybe I should take some of these things seriously um, and, you know, get my shit together and try to make room for somebody which is really an oversimplification because that is not like it's I'm not even single because I'm not making room for people it's really that I have a better idea of what I'm looking for as I better myself and I think it's just hard to find you know but Regardless, Atlanta was lovely. Um, I will say I thought I would be more ratchet in Atlanta because, you know, it is black gay mecca. But Black Pride was actually Labor Day weekend. So I think a lot of the girls were calm and relaxed. But I thought it was going to be like ratchet. Like I was going to be swinging from dick to dick. Like a like a jungle gym of just dick and slong. And I was just going to be just, you know, just... Ooh. You know, like I thought it was going to be that. But it wasn't. It was like, you know... Um, the first night I went to... With me and two of my great, amazing friends, beautiful friends, we went to this like lesbian drag bar. That was cute. Um, it was cute, but that's pretty much it. You know, the music selection I think in general is was not impressive in Atlanta. I did have there was one mix at the second club that I liked, but in general the music selection wasn't like hitting, hitting. Like girls were still wiping it down. I heard wiped me down four or five times this weekend. And this excludes the wedding. Because wipe me down is appropriate in a wedding. Like, you should wipe the... You shoulders, chest, pants, shoes. I mean, that's part of the wedding. Like, that, yes. And a couple of things that you sh- shall play at a, at a black wedding. And wipe me down is right there. Wipe me down... I mean, my wedding's going to have a little bit different things. But wipe me down is going to be on the list. You know, I might have some more like Caribbean uh, things. But wipe me down yes and I'm gonna fuck it up okay I'm gonna, fuck, I'm gonna fuck it up when it come on but um I think that I shouldn't have heard it four more times that, that's, that's a lot you know I did hear a whisper song which did bring me back it did bring back some memories not gonna lie I remember when that when Ying Yang Twins came out and I was like aw, um you know it was, it was cute fine. But yeah, I mean, I, I thought I would be more ratchet, but I guess I'm just like, I wasn't in that mood. I don't know. Well, the the move on Saturday night wasn't too lit. It wasn't too lit. So that's probably what it is. And that and me just having to get used to needing a car. I mean, I, Uber was super cheap, so whatever, but I probably would have done more shit and explored if I had, had my own whip. So that's something to consider. Um... Even though I don't drive, so I don't know what I'm talking about, but whatever. Um, but yeah, I mean, seeing the black. I think what I loved most about it was just how black the city is. And just so many different types of black. Well, not really. See, thing. I don't want to say so many different types of black, but just so much manifestation of black. Um... There, it was just a beautiful black city. A beautiful black city. And, you know, everybody, the culture. And it was one thing that I noticed that I don't see in New York is like jewelry, like the jewelry game in Atlanta. I mean, in the gay club, this was the after hour spot that I went to. I went to this after hour spot called Marquette um, at like three, four o'clock in the morning. And two of these dudes had chains that were like diamonds. I was like, y'all really, the gays don't do that in New York. We don't serve like rapper chain, in New York, but it was beautiful. It was beautiful, so I didn't hate. It was cute, um, very tasteful, I guess, in the context of opulence and and excess. I I don't know. Um, speaking of excess, I realized that I am extra even in Atlanta. You know, I thought I wasn't gonna be. So at the at the Marquette there were these two girls you know two girls dancing amazing beautiful dances beautiful bodies beautiful black um just amazing right and they were dancing and they got me hyped so i had on a see-through mesh dress and a thong which is like you know i mean it's appropriate for me like Considering that I was going to turn it up, like I was like, you know, you better rock that see through shit and you better, you know, so we started dancing and then I started to really get it and then I forgot that I, didn't, I only had a thong on so, you know, so I turned it up so clearly once I did that I like turned it up to a new level. And then people in my surroundings got even more wretched. So I was like, I'm still extra. Even in Atlanta, I'm an extra-ass bitch. And that's fine. You know, that's my blessing. That's my calling. Um, you know, that's the Lord put on my shoulders for me to do. He said, you know, thou shalt turn it up no matter where you are, no matter where you're from. Um, but, yeah, so that was beautiful. That was really, really beautiful. Um I did want to talk about a few things. Am I done with Atlanta, actually? Well, kind of. I realize sex tourism is a thing. I mean, and obviously it's a thing. I mean, people know. I don't know. Haiti has a, a decent, like, sex tourism, gay thing of down there. Um, but I forgot that it was a thing because I don't go anywhere. Like, I just stay in New York for the most part. Um, but... I was like, oh, like I can see the market for it. Granted, I don't think I would pay for it, and you know I'm not against. I'm definitely not above paying for sex work, but I just don't. For me, I don't see it. Like I just don't see it. But I, I do. I did peep. Like there were these white dudes in my hotel. That I overheard them talking, and basically, they were like, I'm just trying to get, and they weren't even looking for a black dick. Well, kind of, you know how that was, but whatever. They were like, you know, I just want to get some Atlanta dick, and like how far they were willing to go to get it. And I heard them, one of them being like, you know, I would definitely spend a couple bands. Well, not bands, bills, really, but I was like, oh, okay, like I could be from Atlanta. No, it <laughs> Um, But, 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 um, yes yes it was beautiful and you know i think i i think i understand because why so for a long time i used to be very very like harsh like let's say i'm in the middle of a hookup and or i have a hookup coming through or whatever and you know once he got here i was not impressed with what he was showing you know the dick wasn't you know People were face or face tuning the dick pic. People were, you know, the girls are out here lying. Which they want to do. I mean, there is witchcraft on Grindr, Witchcraft on Jack. Just witchcraft even on phones. Like i iPhone witchcraft and Andre Witchcraft. I mean, you y'all send exchange nudes and these nudes don't look anything like a nude that you might have kind of, you know, whatever. So I, this weekend, I kind of had a situation like that, and typically, typically, I would send you home. Like, I would be like, no, no, no. It wasn't horrible, it just was dishonest, and on principle, I just don't want to do it, right? Right? But this time, I was like, the guy is nice, let me see, let me see if I can make this work. It's almost like a testament to, like, a testament to my skill if I can make this work, right? And how, So I was like, okay, let me give it a shot. I mean, I ended up not making it work, but, um, we, you know, but the gays have a thing where if it doesn't work out, y'all can still jerk off together and it's fine. So we ended up transitioning to that and it was lovely um but what i kind of realized in that is that there is there is a loving way to reject somebody, you know what I mean, like, you don't have to be like, the fuck out my house, or like, turn on TV, because I'm good for that, like, if it's not popping I will put on one of my shows, I just started watching Snowfall, I'm um, Great British Bake Off is back, like, I will put a show on, and just be like, you wanna watch TV, or what, because I'm not wasting my, you know, my, my gifts on this situation, um, but I was like, okay, there is you, because I am such an erotic person and such a sensual person, and I am okay with a lot of things. I think I don't need to be so like aggressively reject. Is not a word, but aggressively reject um folks. Well, a lot of this claim I don't want to waste my time or I expose my body to things. But still, I mean, there are ways within the gay or queer context to really transition, move things along where you are still making the most out of your experience and you're not exposing yourself to things. You're not wasting your body. You're not, you know, you're not compromising your integrity, but you don't have to send somebody like you know, packing. Even though I, I that might be appropriate because if they not packing, then whatever. But I feel like still, like I learned that, and it was cute. Um, yeah, so I think now I'm done with Atlanta. I think I don't know. Atlanta was a good time. It's a beautiful time. If you are black and gay, I recommend you go. It's beautiful. So I wanted to get into some things. Mainly because I saw online last week a clip going around of the little Nas X and Kevin Hart sort of conversation in the context of the Shop, like LeBron's the Shop. I think it's called the Shop, like uncensored. I don't want to make it up. It's like some shit. That's a that's a derivation of the original the Shop that came out a couple years ago. So it was Kevin Love who I, is cute. I didn't realize he was cute. Well, I mean, I didn't know who he was, so I really shouldn't say that. I didn't know who the fuck that was until I watched the the, the whole thing. Um, apparently, he was in the Cavaliers. Like, I just don't know. But he was cute. I was surprised. Um, and Kevin Hart and Charlemagne and Lil Nas X. And there was like some corporate guys, like a marketing director there whatever. So in the clip, I'm sure most of you have seen it. They edited it such that when Kevin Hart was like, so what? You know, being very flippant about Lil Nas X feeling like he had to come out. And I did watch the whole show because I felt like it was important to get that context, even though originally I didn't. Originally, I was like, I don't even need to watch the whole shit because I already know. And a lot of that is true, right? Like, I did already know, you know, what it's like to be a black queer man at a barbershop. Like, to have to deal with that, like, your entire life of being in a place just so you can be groomed where people are either homophobic or misogynistic, right? Because it's not as though... Is that as though, like, that's one of the places where when you hear black men being misogynistic, you know that it also includes you. Like, when they're shitting on women or they're objectifying women, you know that that space is not good for you. Like, there's some places where your male privilege can kind of separate you from, you know, being the uh, the sort of object of oppression as a black man. You know, and a lot of people choose to... You know, take advantage of that exception, of that not being included, just to feel safer. And, you know, I can't judge them for that, but the purpose of allyship is to, even in that moment, stand up for women, but fine. But at the barbershop, when someone's cutting your hair and they're shitting on women or talking about fucking and cheating on their wives and cheating on natives, you better shut the fuck up, because you're getting your hair cut. You know, you know, you don't want a fucking, you know, hyperbola like whatever hairline. You better sit your ass down. And not even just that, like the roasting, like you know. So you just shut the fuck up. So in that space, you know, I am used to it being uncomfortable. Actually a little tangent. My barber my barber shop now, I've been going to this barber for I, shit, nine years at this point? It is a bit... It's safer than the ones that I grew up in. So I don't want to, like, shit on that. But regardless, I, like... I already could recall a, a bed of experiences or a pool of experiences in a little not, in a little X scenario. And then fuck Kevin Hart. You know, we already know what Kevin Hart's giving. You know, so whatever. So I was like, y'all put this young black man... Young know, black gay man, 20 years old in this space, to have to explain why he came out at twenty. Like most of you niggas at twenty couldn't do shit. Couldn't speak about anything with any kind of clarity, nothing about your identity, nothing about your nothing at twenty. You know, I remember and especially the straight ones. As oh my god, the straight 20-year-old black man that I knew them could not give me a paragraph on identity in a way that was authentic to themselves. Could not speak about what kind of man they wanted to be. Why they wanted to be that. What are the principles of masculinity and manhood that aren't oppressive? You know, could not speak to the importance, right, of being a a kind of man that does not unnecessarily take up space, that makes room for, like, what does it mean to respect a partner? What does it mean to respect a woman? Like, they, at 20? Are you kidding me? And when you come out... You are making a statement, not just about who you are, but about who you'd like to be. You know, what kind of space you want to take up in this world. Like, when you come out, you are talking about present, past, and future. Like, the questions about, well, when did you know? And, you know, what kinds of things you like? Like, all of that as part of the... And people think they can ask you that, by the way. Which they really shouldn't. They should mind their business, but okay. But when you come out and you become this public figure and announce this publicly, it's almost like announcing, like, getting married. You know, because when you to get married it's a public declaration of love right and when you come out it's like a public declaration of what you the type what you do love or the type you do love or what you will end up love like the lifestyle that you will end up well not the lifestyle but really like I guess it is kind of a lifestyle in addition to, like, a preference, obviously. I'm not going to go into that. But the type of life you will try to lead from this moment on. And there's a lot that you need to learn and explore about that. But, yeah, you ask a 20-year-old this, a straight 20 year old. It's gonna be nonsense. This is gonna be a bunch of and raps lyrics and, and and stupid ass captions and just nonsense. You know, you know quotes from basketball players. It's gonna be bullshit. You know, and I'm like, so like I don't whatever. But so he's in this conversation with them, and. Um, and I should even say, "coaching basketball." I should say because, like, I'm thinking about it. And 20 year olds, especially if you're college educated, it's the it's the it's the age of just stupid of quotes from like old people that you don't really understand, like Walden quotes, and like, no matter what your inspiration for manhood is, people just love to quote that shit at 20 without understanding a word of it. Regardless, right? Um, So, in this conversation, Kevin Hart accidentally, I think, in tone and in word choice, minimizes or, like, basically minimizes the experience or necessity of coming out. Like, oh, so what? Like, everybody's gay. Like, everybody knows that they're gay people. You're gay. So what? So what? So what? So what? what? And I think the internet has corrected it. But, I mean, it's a little bit out of context to Kevin Hart's credit, surprisingly, is that a tad bit out of context. He was talking about... He did go on to sort of tell him that if he focuses on how... If he focuses on... Um, like, what, what it is that he does well. Focuses on his art, his craft. Like, what his intentions are about... Whatever, helping people. Whatever his intentions are. Then that will create... That will... That will control the narrative that people won't people won't be tearing him down because of his sexuality if he controls his narrative or his narrative around what it is he's good at, which you know. I think was well-meaning. And I think, if anything, that was the most problematic part of what Kevin Hart said. But with, with, that was not in any of the clips, though. You know, he was basically telling somebody that your identity won't be the reason you are shot upon or taken down. Which, com- that statement comes from a place of privilege. And I think that is what bothered me more than the so what, than like the flippant attitude, is that if you are a minority of any sort, but see, if you are a minority that does something discordant to the stereotypes assigned to you, then you understand that yes, your identity could be used. And yeah, he's right. If you do focus your messaging around, you know, what you do well, it's less likely. But at any moment, like when you do something, when you're a black gay person and you, you know, if he were a black gay person in fashion, it would be all right. And in entertainment, it is more all right, you know, but he's choosing to live in a place without genre. Like they're barely even country White country gay singers, right? I mean, there's that guy from um, Songlands. I forgot his name. He's a songwriter. Though. He's super. He's super talented. He's super passionate about country and everything. He was like, "Yeah, I wanted to be a country singer, but I'm gay," and they weren't having that. And this is a white. This is a redheaded white man, right? Like white. And then there was, um, there's the guy, Steve something, Steve Grant, that came out a couple years ago, who's doing like a pop country thing, who, I mean, is so like all American type of beautiful, that a lot of him just being that type of attractive, uh, carried him and he was like a football player or some shit. So that kind of carried him, in, like that butocracy kind of thing. But now he does shows on Providence, uh, at Providence or, um, no, sorry, on Providence Town, like P Town, on in the summer, like which is a gig, fine, but it's not v- Nashville, and it's not like he's not a country star. You know what I'm saying? It's like. The the girls don't the country girls don't make time for that even for white people, so you're gonna sit here and tell this black gay man, well if you just r- focus on what you do well, it's gonna your identity won't be uh, won't be used against you and that's false. It is false. Like it is very false. But Kevin Hart's a comedian, and he's the type of comedian that's okay with pandering, so he doesn't understand. That. You know, he doesn't really get that type of integrity, type of just he doesn't get it. Um, but yeah, I wanted to give context to that because I felt like everybody was focusing on him being flippant and not just the fact that he really doesn't understand identity politics. He doesn't he does not understand the minority or oppressive, like how difficult it is to operate outside of your stereotype um, in a way that's edifying, in a way that's really uplifting, and, you know, be able to control your narrative and be able to feel safe among... And within the privilege of success, obviously, but feel safe in that space, you know what I mean? And everybody knows this in real life. Like, you know, if you ask a black woman who's very, very, very successful... Um, in a corporate environment, like, you know, she's aware of, you know, the the sort of angry black woman stereotype. She's aware of the whole, like, she's a bitch stereotype. She might not be called that, but it's something that she knows. You know, it's something that she's aware of. It's like, and she knows that she can't control that narrative. All she could do is do her job well and be the best. So then the pressure becomes on performance, like on just being an exceptional performer, of, being, of having something that no one else can have and just being on top. Because, because you know you can't control the narrative, you focus on performance, right? Because you know that there's that, and I hate the imposter syndrome term, but because you know there is a narrative of this person might not belong in this space, you focus on just being the best. But the narrative is outside of your control and it is based on your status as a minority, as a multi-hyphenate minority, right? Um, So yeah, and I think what made me the saddest about that conversation was just something that I talked a little bit to one of my, um, well, he's one of my friend's friends. You know, I want to be precise about that. um, About... um, the cost of these type of conversations. You know, Little Naz I saw a tweet that I was like, you know, he's a baby gay, because if it were him, he would have read the whole room for filth. And that's true in a sense. Like, he's 20 years old. I don't really know how many conversations conversations he's had with privileged people about his identity. But what I can tell you is that it's exhausting. And I was talking to a white straight guy about this, and like, White people don't understand the cost of things. They think everything is free, right? So talking to me about identity because you're really interested in identity or you saw a clip or you blah, 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 blah but you're not an ally of mine. You're just somebody we're at the bar. We're just talking. You're not going to hold me down. Like you just want to have an intellectual conversation about some shit so that you feel like you've engaged um, comes at a cost. You know, it it. it the cost varies depending on how I feel, depending on what's going on in my life. And that cost is really for me to manage. But I have to spend emotional, psychological resources to have an authentic conversation about, um, the experience of a minority. Like I can intellectually spar with you, but that's not really good for, that's not doing anything to me, that's not affecting change. So if I want to have a conversation about identity that, pretends, that may be autobiographical, but that is both intellectual and emotional that really tells the story of suffering. Because that's how you really move people, right? Like, as I, I can't just go back and forth with, like, affirmative action debates with you. You know, I have to say, you know, here are the logical reasons that, let's say, you know, I don't know, something like reparations, here, there are intellectual reasons for it, but here's also a narrative. Like, here is a family that blah, 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 blah. Like, I have to do. Both to be effective. And maybe I pull for my own life or whatever. But to me, in order to really change the hearts and minds of someone who's part of an oppressive class. like I have to do both things. And that shit is exhausting. And even if I don't want to do those things. Even if I just want to get a drink at the bar. Most likely in this conversation, you are going to say something. And do something that is that strikes my spirit as wrong, that is an affront on my identity or the identities of my communities, right? And now I'm going to have to step out of my liquor to talk to you to correct it. And I'm spending all these emotional dollars correcting you niggas or like, you know, telling these stories or making these arguments. And at the end of the day, you go home and you have learned something. I go home and I have nothing. I have not learned shit. I might have changed my. I might have changed one person's minds, maybe, but most likely you're gonna have to have another conversation and another one with somebody else for that to really sink in. So perhaps I've started the work of humanizing an you know a, a oppressive white person. Fine. But I'm going to come home, and I'm not going to have shit. I'm going to be in my apartment. I'm going to have to find energy to record my motherfucking podcast, to make my music, to write this show, to write these poems, to go to work. I'm going to have to still find that. And if somebody comes for me on on my various identities, you are nowhere to be found because you are not my friends, and you you don't even know if you're my ally. So now I'm having now this 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 I can't this is not I cannot keep doing that. And not even me. We cannot keep doing that. Well I can't say that. I should say that there is a cost. There's a cost to it. And you know, they don't they don't see that. Kevin Hart doesn't see that. And little Nas X might not even see it because he's twenty years old. You know, he's 20 and he may, I don't know, with class privilege, he might I don't know. But that shit, 30 by 30 years old, 40 years old, you keep, you gotta, it's too much. It's too much. Um, Yeah, and I guess I I did want to get into something else, but I guess I'm just gonna, I'm going to sort of, I guess, tease it. And I teased it last week, so I don't know, I need to focus on it. Um, Just the economic effects of cultural appropriation. And I think, my mindset has always been relatively economic from I guess the white man's ec- economics, where scarcity is the base the base assumption, and like you know actually, you know it's funny, I said the white man's economics, but well that's that's true. I mean there are different types of you know economics that we don't really discuss in the west, but or in western like education but aside from that, um I think my economic mindset is both academic and emotional. I think when as somebody who grew up for the first 10 years of his life in a single parent household with no siblings at the time, it was true that if I didn't do something or if my mother didn't do it, it just wasn't getting done. So one of us had to find the energy to do it, or it just wasn't happening. Um, and if she didn't have the money, it just wasn't happening. Like there was no nothing else. And it was really easy to see the effects of things as a child, where it was like this is a finite, closed system of resources. So if one of you niggas is exhausted, it's a it's a it's a wrap, you know. And I think. I think that mindset has me, primed me to be educated in a way where scarcity, where white man's economics, like that scarcity principle and all of that, um, both on the spirit and to apply it universally. Like I was able to apply it well across all the systems in my life so spiritual you know interpersonal professional because I understood it on a really deep level like I understood scarcity on an emotional level Um, so when I first encountered things like cultural appropriation it was easy for me to see the financial and economic ramifications are the way that these principles are worked in this space as well as like the shit in my life, you know what I'm trying to, you know, my emotional like why I leave arguments when people start talking shit as opposed to arguing them down, you know what I mean? Like all these things this preservation of energy and I think on a spiritual level yeah, I'll talk about that instead of the cultural appropriation thing I think Understanding scarcity as the as the sort of base level assumption of you know economics or whatever a lack the idea that there is a limit, um, I think on the spiritual note is not the way to go. I think spiritually, and this is a good way to sort of relate it to the wedding. I think the way we should love is we should love as though there is no there is no limit, right? We should love from a place of abundance. Abundance should be your base assumption when you think about love, both loving yourself, both loving other people. When you think about collaboration, when you think about like abundance drives progress and community and you know all this beauty that operating from a place of scarcity does not and you see it like let's because it you know because of you know economics like scarcity drives competition and that competition is not collaboration i mean you know like it depends on obviously there's a there's you know comparative advantage and whatever but like when you think about um when you think about it, it's just like on a spiritual and emotional community building note, operating from a place of abundance is the humanistic way. And for all of us trying to improve our stations and love one another, it doesn't serve us to operate with this scarcity assumption. Although we are in a white man's capitalist world, and this is what this is. A mentality that we kind of have to deal with. Um, and I guess I just say, don't let it infect you like it has infected me. I mean, I still, like, even to apply that to the little Nas X, the cost of these conversations, you know, I think I am right that it does have, a, does play a psychological role, um, to, to play, well, enact a psychological toll, and that we should understand that our energy to do that kind of thing is limited and that's because it's never coming back there's no renewable there's no renewable like recycling like this person is not your ally if he were if he were your ally then maybe that's where that work is worth it but if he's your ally who loves you if he loves you then he should be trying to pour into you as well right um so that system, there's abundance in that he's just choosing to withhold it or not direct it towards you. Um, I think aside from that, though, yeah, I think we should operate from our place of men's. and I'm working on that you know i can't pre- I'm not preaching it because I you know, as I said, a lot of my trauma makes me uh, makes me preserve my energy. I mean, I'll tell you this quick story, and then we we out. My, I was in a relationship where, you know, if we, if I was in an argument or we were arguing about something stupid, my Uber's already called. Or, I mean, and I'm not even gassing it. It'd be like, oh, word, we're talking about this? Okay. I mean, I already discussed this. Let me, let me order my Uber. Like, I'm not doing this shit with you. Like, be, I mean, I've had people... Run after my Ubers. I've had people run in front of my Ubers to stop me from leaving. I am leaving. I am leaving because this conversation is stupid. Which, on one hand, preserves the fuck out of my energy. And it keeps me from hurting your feelings. Um, but, the, the I mean, the <laughs> flip side of that is what intimacy what relationship are you building well i think it's i think sometimes it's healthy to leave a conversation if it's not improving but if you just leave at the first sign of it because it's because it's dumb how are you working through problems you know what i'm saying um how are you building i'm operating from a place of scarcity so i'm cautious about what i'm giving i'm cautious about what I'm willing to donate or contribute to this to this work, and that doesn't bode well in terms of the generosity needed to build a relationship in. Anyway, um, y'all behave Y'all be good You know, it's the fall um, offic- Well, it's not officially, but, you know, whatever It's fall time You know, that means we get to layer our looks That means we get to, you know In New York, at least, we get to stun on hoes You know, we get to do our thing um, And, yeah, you know, just enjoy yourself And until then